eternal. Yeah, it was like it. darkness, infinity. Yeah, it's what we were explaining after uh, like the fourth time. <laughs> like, how many times do we have to explain atom? <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Looking to the afterlife for for humans, Mm -hmm. you've written about this topic a bunch, about how, um, you know, going to the afterlife um, and coffins and how coffins are used and the function of a coffin and all this stuff. So first, just to preface things, do men and women have equal access to the afterlife? It seems so. Yeah. I... I, but I'm not a pre-dynastic expert, so I don't know what things were like at the beginning. But it does seem like they both have access. Yeah. Equal is a difficult Equal, word. Okay. Yes. I don't know. And status, you know, I don't think that anyone has equal access to the afterlife in ancient Egypt. And that was the point. Mm-hmm. The point was to show that the top five or less percent got extraordinary access to the afterlife. And everyone else got to watch that access. They got extraordinary preservation, and Mm -hmm. everyone else was kept away from that preservation. So you have two articles, so The Problem of Female Rebirth in New Kingdom Egypt Mm -hmm. and Gender Transformation and the Egyptian Coffin, Mm -hmm. where you very convincingly argue that to become become reborn and to live on in the afterlife, that everyone has to become male. Yeah. um, First. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, be reborn through... Uh, the goddess of the West, right? Yeah, of this yeah. uh, joining between the two. Um, and that this concept is reflected in the in the coffins that you, mm-hmm. you've studied, right? Mm-hmm. So not just the texts that are on the coffin, but also in the, you know, artistic motifs and characteristics of the individuals on the coffin and all this kind of stuff. So can you give some examples of where we see this playing out? Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's very interesting. And I don't think... You know, you wouldn't, I guess, too, how did you kind of come up with this idea? And when you were studying the coffins, where did it kind of come to you? Because it really makes sense. I don't remember when I first came up with this idea and I'm like, oh, my God, they have to become male. I guess as I'm working through all the coffins and I see that even female coffin owners are called Osiris. Okay, yeah. So it's like that's the first major. Right? Everyone has to be, is and no one ever Osiris, talked about so-and-so. that. It's just like, oh, you have to be Osiris because that's who gets to be reborn. But yeah. then you never think of it as a Why? sexual mechanism. Yeah, that you have to become Osiris, and mm-hmm. that I can't be Hathor, Kara. I have to be Osiris, Kara, in the New Kingdom. Yep. These things change but as time goes the on. Of the West is very yeah. Like, it, it would make sense. It would work. It, but it doesn't work until. The Greeks start to come into Egypt. That's when you get to be Hathor Kara. Otherwise, you have to be Osiris Kara. So you start to look at this. And if you look at a coffin, the males have the fisted hands. Mm -hmm. And trust me, that there is meant to be an ejaculation happening within those fisted hands. I mean, these hands are meant to do something. They're active. They're meant to create recreation. 
um, the man has a dark red skin color, the female usually a light yellow. That's not always the case. There's a lot of males with light yellow and a lot of females with dark red. But for the most part, that's that's how that works. So the man's outside and active and the woman has passive flat hands Mm -hmm. and she's got the the hair coming all around and earrings and her ears are hidden. Man's ears are out. Like he can hear and be a part of listening and talking and she's shielded and and shouldn't be there a part of that give and take and that Mm -hmm. exchange. So when you're, you see all of this, that a woman is not getting access to things, but she's still got a coffin. Yeah. You know, she's elite. She's got a coffin. She's, she's out there named as Osiris. There is an attempt to give her the magical possibility to remake herself. And the naming of her of Osiris is part of it. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the, uh, the other thing I remember what I was thinking about, when you're looking at 21st Dynasty mummies mm-hmm. and you see that they're stuffed, right? Yeah. Their, their faces and like their bodies. Lifelike. Right. Presumably. Right. Yeah. So they, they make the, they put their false eyes in and, and they just, they're, they're amazing looking mummies. Give them breasts. They don't. That's what I'm going to say. They don't give them breasts. So no. the breasts when they do, they, they put in all this stuffing and they make them alive. They put in the mm-hmm. eyes, they put in false hair. They give them rouge to the females. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't stuff their breasts. The breasts remain flat yeah. because They're I think it was a step needed. too far. They're not need. They need to be a masculine yeah. entity. They need to be male to recreate themselves. They're supposed to masturbate themselves back to life too. Mm-hmm. And then once they've done that, they can then take on a different persona. And then what I was doing with these coffins was looking at the outer coffins show yeah. the woman is more of an Osiris figure. So there's androgynous. You're not seeing it as like these clear cut gender, right? So you're seeing some male characteristics, quote unquote, on these female coffins. And it's like, why? But the coffin itself is confusing because yeah. the outer parts are more androgenizing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the inner part of the Ramesid yes. coffin Art is more feminine. It's super feminine. Yeah. And it shows, as I argue, the end result. Like after her masturbatory moment of mm-hmm. of born again, yep. then the the end result is there on the inside. Herself. She gets to be herself, wear her fancy dress with all her jewelry. Mm-hmm. And that is the afterlife depiction you see in the Book of the Dead yep. that is given to her on a papyrus roll or something like that. So it's a very flexible understanding of sexuality and gender, yeah. and gender or both or one. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and, and compared to other places. And do you see the coffin functioning as like the womb too? Yes. And I'm, yeah. and I, I don't write about that as much yeah. as somebody like John Taylor or Harco Willems who see the coffin as the container, the feminine container, the womb, the sky inside of the sky, yeah. the duot. You can go philosophical so crazy with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I play here. Yeah. yeah. Because then the outside is the Osirian manifester of what goes on the inside. Mm-hmm. So every deceased person has the responsibility of recreating themselves to put it into the, their own coffin case. Yeah. And it, it is as if every dead person has the mystery of remaking themselves mm-hmm. using male and female gender within their own person. Mm-hmm. And, and the male needs the coffin to have that container. Yeah. But so like one could easily say no Kara you're reading too into this it's mm-hmm. just that these coffins were pre-made mm-hmm. and so that's why you see the coffin text with the masculine ending you know the, the text yes. on them yes these are or these are being reused or something like this right so what would you say in response to that that you know, so the the coffin set of Henu Mahit for instance and it's just one of many mm-hmm. in the British Museum now um, was once uh, in a Theban tomb 
has on the front text, uh, it's a text that pretty much says, oh, newt, my mother, wrap yourself around me, lift me up into the sky. And the pronouns used for this female are she and her. But then if you look at the Book of the Dead texts that are all around in different parts of the coffin that are much more in the weeds and complicated and talk about the rebirth of the deceased, they use the pronouns he and him. And so you people have looked at that and said, oh, well, clearly it's scribal error. They weren't paying attention, right? They, they were just copying quickly from a Book of the Dead text. The fact that it was for a woman didn't matter. And I'm like, but they use she and her here and they yeah. use he and him there. So there's got to be I something. I noticed that. I feel like. And this is a really <laughs> nice coffin. The coffin of Henry Mahit is made by people who know what's what. Mm-hmm. They know what's going on. They're able to it afford the finest. People are going to, you know how you and I sight read in class yeah. and we're like, who can sight read and who can't? Well, everyone's sight reading at this funeral. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is full of people who know what they're doing, right? Yeah. And so I think the he and him and I argue this in the article, is purposefully meant as she needs to be masculine in that Book of the Dead context to claim that sexual procreative power Mm -hmm. to recreate herself. So So. she's male there, but then in the front part... She's done. That's okay. She's base. She's she's, um, (laughs) She's transformed. She's been recreated. And so... Because also it's like a fait accompli, that final text. Mm-hmm. Lift me up in your embrace. Put me up into the sky. It's the end result. She's Where she's she can done. be female again. Yeah. 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 Super interesting. Yeah, Super it is. Cool. It's really cool. And then within a Ramesid coffin set, 19th and 20th dynasties, you can see that people are really thinking about this. Yes. And creating different parts of the set mm-hmm. to represent the beginnings of the recreation, so the endings of the creation. Why that do you kind of think thing. that starts to change? Why do you see more of the female included? Is it's it so hard? Well, is it just because people aren't getting, you know, tombs as much? And so the, the coffin becomes everything. So you have to make sure you include everything. I think that's on a good it. argument. Um, right. So you see. But more 19th of and the, 20th, they had, co- they had tombs, they had burial chambers. These things were decorated. They focus. were potentially than the 18th. But 18th dynasty, there aren't as many uh, people with access to tombs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hard. I'll have to think about this more, why this changes in the 19th and 20th. Or religious changes. I always go with money. You know, I always yeah. go with money. So what I'll say is that 18th dynasty, your recreation in the afterlife, your ability to get into the afterlife is more dependent on the patriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you get into the Ramesid period, there's much more social mobility, more of a middle class, mm-hmm. even I would argue for more of a middle class, um, more institutions that you need to fit yourself towards. There's more disagreements among people. Everyone's writing down, I borrowed this donkey, you didn't pay mm-hmm. me. And there's legal suits and yeah. everyone's kind of just competing with one yeah. another. In that socioeconomic context, it would make sense that the female and the male would need to show their rebirth in a more individualized context mm-hmm. and a less hidden, esoteric kind of, uh, I don't know, um, shielded and closed society context. Mm-hmm. So I would say one, the 18th dynasty version is the, the closed, closed society yeah. context. Like we can make it work. The priests are going to, the initiated priests will do it's the magic that they need something. more yeah. spoken, more just we'll, we'll make Action it happen. Yeah. And then depicted. the 19th and 20th, they're like, no, we've done it. We're showing it. And there's more of a display of it, of it happening. 
Um, I'd, I'd have to work out that argument a little more fully, but I think I think you could claim why yeah. it changes. But yeah. whenever religion changes, or whenever something changes, you know what Egyptologists do? They say, "Oh, the religion changed, yeah. and, so thus the, and thus the why. coffins changed, and yeah. thus you know whatever." And I always train my students to say, "No, no, no! Look at the social context and see yeah. if that's changing, and if that changes the religion." And mm-hmm. in my opinion, that's the better way of yeah. doing. It. Yeah. And so other people have used this idea to also talk about Nefertari in her tomb and how, why she's depicted with darker skin. Yeah. What have you read? In the tomb space, Nefertari's depicted with darker skin, mm-hmm. black skin, right? Not black, like dark oh, red. Yes. Black skin is for Ahmed's Nefertari. Darker skin because she's in a more male effective type of scenario. You know, Nefertari's tomb is complicated because in some places in the tomb, she's got very light skin. Yes. As you would have if you were an elite woman who never went outside. But so is it depending on the scene? And, and then in other scenes, she needs to be more masculine. Where, yeah, where one could assume she needs to be responsible for her own recreation. Mm-hmm. There she would have darker skin. Yeah. I think you could make the point and argue that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the, the skin so then, color is interesting because you brought up Nefertari, but there's... Say, so then for Achmo's Nefertari... For Achmo's Nefertari... She have, like, black... Yes. Like, carbon black. Yes. Yes. So Which uh, males don't even... No. Like, never... No. Achmo's Nefertari is an interesting creature. She was a very important queen at the beginning mm-hmm. of the 18th dynasty um, in a full brother-sister marriage with... Ahmose, mm-hmm. and their child was Amenhotep I, who, no surprise, turned out to be sterile after two generations of brother-sister marriage, full brother-sister marriage. Yeah. But Ahmose Nefertari was the god's wife of Amen, mm-hmm. the first god's wife of Amen, and was considered a kind of patron saint, if you like, her of the Theban area. The first, right? yeah. She and her son Amenhotep I, so Ahmose Nefertari and Amenhotep I, are often depicted kind of as a couple, mother-son yep. couple, and, and worshipped by West Thebans, Daryl Medina. He doesn't, dark skin. he doesn't have that dark skin. She has this dark black mm-hmm. skin, carbon black. His is a red ochre. Yep. And I don't know why, except to say that Osiris? she's associated with Osiris and with that rich black earth. Yeah. Um, some people have tried to claim like that she's more Southern. Genitor of the family line or something. Um, I don't think it's been... There are lots of things one can say yeah. that talk about the symbolism of the blackness of that black skin. There are other things one could say about identity and origins. But I don't think it's been solved yeah. why she but has that dark black skin. people from Nubia, they don't have that. No, not like that. Like, it's like black. Yeah, it's carbon not black. Like dark brown. No. It's black. Like, they don't ever depict any other humans. No. Regardless of ethnicity. Mm-mm. With that dark of skin. So, no. Uh, something else is that. So then see. she's like the... She is the, the black earth. The black earth. Egypt. Which is a masculine thing. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, masculine Geb. Geb entity. Yes. Osiris so is the earth. How are we to understand that? I don't know. It's very interesting. And they're consistent with it. Mm-hmm. Very it consistent. Has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people have done work on Ahmed's Nefertari. We've looked at her coffin. Mm-hmm. Her skin she is not like know. that on her coffin. Nope. So if they're trying to be lifelike and depict her well, as she looked in real life. Her being divinized and mm-hmm. so maybe it is some, just something to do with Osiris and her being a god. But according to her mummy in the coffin itself, there's nothing there that's in association with that blackness and that fashion hadn't started yet. Yep. But the black skin was certainly something that caught on. And it's 
I guess the best we can say is it's a feminine Osirian figure. Yeah. And that's what we'll what we'll do with it. Yeah. But anyone who, you know, wants to write a dissertation on that. <laughs> get, <Yeah. laughs> get in touch. This sounds good. We're interested. Yeah. So turning back to sex, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit at the beginning about same-sex relations, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about it a little bit more because I think people are always interested in this, mm-hmm. looking for examples from the ancient past mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, as we talked about earlier, that you know the Egyptians didn't have a word for it, mm-hmm. for being gay or anything like this. We don't have many instances of it popping up. No. We have Horace and Seth. Should we talk about that? Yeah. Okay. So how do you see the story? Well, to me, the story is not well, about... explain the part. Start with, so, with what happens. Contendings of Horace and Seth. They're, so Osiris is dead. They're having a tribunal about now who will be king um, over the earth. And Seth wants the role. Yeah. Volunteers himself. Yeah. And some of the other gods say, no, it should be Horus. He's the son of Osiris. He should get the role. And so Why should we choose the brother of the dead king yes. when his son lives? Like, so there's this contendings going on. Mm-hmm. Do you choose the strong man or do you choose the legally sanctioned man? Yes. Who's not a man yet. Yeah. It's an issue. And then so there's an incident where Seth is trying to, to me, it's all just a power relation. Yes, it has it nothing is. to do to me with same sex things. But, but Seth is like, come spend an afternoon with me. Yeah. And Horace is like, yes, I would love to spend an afternoon with you. Sounds awesome. And they like spread out a picnic blanket and it's all, it's like, it's all sweet and romantic and they've got food but and so they like cuddle up, up you know, of. it's nighttime, they cuddle up. And how is it explained in the text exactly? It's like he, he attempts to penetrate him from behind. behind. Horace knows he's going to penetrate him, holds so he, out like, his hand. Catches it, yeah catches the semen yeah. when the moment happens and then Seth is like haha I guess falls yeah. asleep and the horse is like haha because you didn't get do what you actually thought you did right he didn't deposit it in the right place because yeah. he's got it in his hand he goes to mama mm-hmm. Isis and says mama what do I do? look what I have shows her what he has in his hand and she cries a great cry chops off his hand she's like ah but, okay, but hold on. But they talk about the hand being feminine again. It's yeah, like, the hand the is the feminine seed. container. Yeah. He gave him his hand instead yeah. of his butthole, and um, and so I know I said that. And so chops off his hand, regrows him a new one. Yeah, takes the hand. I don't know which order this happens yeah. in, but takes the semen and the uh, I don't know the other appendage, plants it, brings it to the lettuce. Yes. He brings it to the she brings it to the gardener. Yeah, and she goes to Seth's gardener. She goes, "Hello, gardener." Wait, all sexy talk, right? Which is the plant that Seth likes to eat the most? That's, He's like, yeah. "My lady, he likes to eat the really lettuce." She's like, "Oh, thanks. I just really needed to know." I'm going to make him a nice salad, and then she takes the semen of Seth and puts it in his own lettuce, right? And then yeah, and then they make him a salad. He eats it. And he eats it. Ha ha! Gotcha. Then he goes to the tribunal and he says to all of the gods, and this part is really interesting. He says, I did a man's deed yeah. to Horus. So I did a man's act, a man's action. And I behaved Horus, like a man. I.e. that Horus was the f- woman. He's the sub. He's the he's yeah. the woman. He's got no power. He's he, And he's like, he so is he just a boy. This is a proof that he is just a boy. He is rapable. As a woman in a sexually dimorphic position would be not, rapable. Not kingly. Right. And then Horace is like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> so he's able to show that he's he like, didn't. You did. And everyone's confused. They're like, what's happening? What's happening? And they're like, let the semen of Seth be called forth. And they call the semen. 
And the semen comes out of his own body and it creates a sun disc on top of his head and he blushes and gets embarrassed and he snatches it off his own head. Good story. It's such a good story. It's a body hysterical story. If you hadn't, haven't read The Contendings of Horace and Seth, yeah. you need to get yourself a copy. It's in every Egyptian literature book. Yep. It's in Miriam Lichtheim. It's in William Kelly Simpson. It's in, um, it's everywhere. So get, you'll find it online. But essentially this homosexual act or queer act or um it is it, it's to prison me, sex yeah, it's like but it's not it has nothing to do with anyone's desire mm-hmm. or who's into who it's a power thing it's a power thing and it's cruel it's meant to be yes, mean it's meant to be trying to get one over on someone else yeah and, it's duplicitous it's um it's rape in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. So you could argue. I think it's more about that. That Horace is being raped. And while Horace is being raped, this is, it's got to be the way to see it. He's then creating a, an, a, an alternative place. Definitely. And that that's, the fact that Seth doesn't even know when he's raping Horace, where it is he's going, is the other reason he's so embarrassed. So Horace and Seth. Yes. I think both of us argue is not a good example of same-sex No, because it's rape. It's rape. It's not about desire at all. It's about power. And he's trying to pull one over on him, all these things. But it always gets brought up. If you read anything about homosexuality in ancient Egypt, they always start with the story. Yeah. So it's important to know. It is absolutely important. So the next most popular example of possible... Um, homosexuality in ancient Egypt. I know where you're going. Is, I know where you're going. And this one kind of annoys me, but it it's got to be it's unexplainable, unpronounceable. Ni Anknum and Knum Hotes, also known as the, ta- the Tomb of Two Brothers. Yes. And the Tomb of Two Brothers. Well, so why do people think they're gay? Because when they're depicted, they're depicted nose to nose. Yeah, they're depicted weird. like as if they're kissing one another. Very strange very close but the amount of ink spilled on this tomb and what these guys are doing is a lot like david o'connor says they're siamese twins okay i was like my best (laughs) explanation is that they're conjoined twins yeah and he he is ridiculous as well i mean it's ridiculous that conjoined twins could survive in the ancient world but it must have happened but and and so i actually went and like looked up the article and read more and then he thinks that they were unconjoined at some point but then they're st- but why would they be unconjoined? How can you even make these arguments? How can you go so far he with would, the evidence that exists? Because there is no evidence for conjoined or unconjoined or any then, of like, it. They were separated at some There's point. There's no evidence it's for like fucking any of it. Live. Any of it. There's my first F bomb of the podcast, but, my God. So the other <laughs> explanation is that they're just regular twins. Which yeah. okay. okay. But like okay, why okay, would okay. they need a tune together? And their their wives are shown in their too. And they're manicurists. They're like yes. taking care of Pharaoh's nails. But I think this is where they're equating. Yes, they're equating. It is so stereotypical, very, gay, yes. gay, gay, gay. Yes. Where they're like, oh, oh they're these are so they these are hairdressers gay. and manicurists, and that's what gay men are, and yes. thus these are gay men, and they're kissing each other, and they have their wives, but they're gay, and it's um it's highly problematic. Yeah. Why they're depicted so close to one another? Why they share a tomb? We know not. I mean, they were both were this in the same profession. Maybe it has something to do with that. Maybe they're related. I, I'm with, going with related. Um, that sounds fine to me. Their wives are depicted in their tomb, in yeah. the tomb with them. Yeah. Their children are. So obviously yeah. they also had wives. Yeah. Maybe they had a relationship. Maybe they didn't. Yeah. I don't. But uh, but as for this being a an ironclad case of gayness in ancient Egypt, I we don't see it. 
We don't see it at all. Or to me, I just, I don't, I get trying to look and have other options open and yeah. to look with open eyes at, you know, the ancient evidence and yeah. stuff and yeah. to see it and um, be more open to other possibilities. As we said, the Egyptians don't have a word for it, didn't have it as a category in their ontological sense of sexuality and in the same way that i argued in the woman who would be king that we can talk until the cows come home about who hatshepsut's lovers were yes but she's never going to commit it to stone in a formal document who cares in the same way the ancient egyptians probably allowed and condoned all kinds of sexual behavior that didn't fit within a patriarchal binary model but that doesn't mean that they would carve it into a tomb chapel because it wasn't the kind of thing that the ancient Egyptians needed to claim in the way that we need to claim, in the way that we need to fight for something. Mm-hmm. So I don't see these two these two things working in the same yeah. way. So even if they were in a relationship, why would they have shown it in a tomb? Yeah. Like tombs are for, how does a tomb function, right? Showing your... It's showing your patriarchal clan. It's your showing, status, yeah. your, your affiliation. Your gender. Your gender. So why would you show your there, love? Well, you're not going to say, this is lover number one, this is lover number yeah. two, this is my first true love. You're not going to ever talk about these things. So It's not it's the not, place for, in the tomb, no. it's not the setting. And people yeah. don't even talk about these things in letters or other, um, they don't keep diaries. This is not a place that's going to talk about such yeah. personal things. So, but where do we have love talked about? It's more sex. They sex, call them yes. the love poetry. We call them love songs and love poetry, but they're, as we will see... Very sexy. It's all sex songs and sex um, poetry. And I think they should be renamed as sex songs and sex poetry. Yeah, they're actually very much like modern music, like song lyrics that are very sexy mm-hmm. and all raunchy and mm-hmm. very explicit in yeah. a way. Yeah. Very metaphorical. In a metaphorical, but lots of like, like think of the song, you it's know, that's like sex. about coming or something like yeah. that. <laughs> that's what really. And it's you're like, like, oh my, and roll music. And you're like, I can't believe they put that in a song. Yeah, or licking. Remember when I remember oh, being yeah. like young and my parents being like, Ah, the music, and it's like something like licking lollipops and things, and <laughs> me being in middle school being like lollipops, like not knowing what the euphemism yeah, is there, but yeah. that's the euphemism. It's it's all very sexual, but do you have, you have some yes. to read? Yes, well, so us? first, I have some to read, but first, just to give our listeners some context, when do these date to, where do we find them, how should we see them functioning, shout out to Amber for sending me your paper you wrote on, and and sources and things, so... So Western Thebes, yes. probably Dero Medina, yep. but we don't know the exact fine spots for many of these papyri, like the, the erotic papyrus, the erotic papyrus, papyrus. Chester Beatty is right. a big one. Right. Um, but, but New Kingdom, probably later New Kingdom, um, 19th, yeah. 20th dynasty, right? Not 18th. No, yeah. So later. And... Um, yeah, so the, the fine spot's a little bit difficult, but you can contextualize them in a more complicated society. Yeah, so how do you see them functioning? They're not just for fun, or they, no. you know, they're not just like, oh, here's a song. And they're all about like, oh, look at her beautiful hair. Mm-hmm. I want to look into her eyes. I want to um, embrace her in certain ways. The smell of her, I can't get her smell mm-hmm. out of my mind. So as Amber argued, and I think we agree, that they're connected to fertility, mm-hmm. rebirth, regeneration. We see the Harper songs popping up in yeah. tomb scenes. So it's yeah. very much female for, for fertility figurines. Yeah. The same, you know, references to hair and smell and all these keep popping up. All these motifs are yeah. consistent throughout. 
these uh, these locations. So you could say it's connected to a Hathoric mm-hmm. festival of some kind, yeah. but why you would only do this That's wonderful human activity one day or one week. You're not going to only do this one day or one week a yeah. year. I mean, this is very human behavior and it's what people do. Yeah. So I, I, it kind of annoys me when people look at these things and they say, oh, specifically for this festival. Now, it may have been specifically written down yes, for this for festival. festival, committed to paper, um, something where you're actually making it materialize. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't part of people's everyday lives. Yeah, I think and it I was. think you can read into things. So I have some examples I'm going to read to you. Okay. And you can give me your thoughts. Okay. And I'll try to read with... Yeah, with ardor. With, yes. <laughs> yes. So this is from the Chester Beatty Papyrus. Okay. And this one I like a lot because it's very metaphorical. Take it to the house of your beloved and fill her court. Oh, wow. Her gate shall shake and her bower shall overflow. Thrill her with song and dance with wine and beer in her shadow. Bring confusion to her passion and fill it in her night so that she may tell you, embrace me. When dawn comes, we shall still be sound. <gasps> So he equates the female to a house. To a house. Taking it to the house. It. Yes. Being sex. Yes. Penis. I don't know. Yes. Fill her court. Yes. Her gate shall shake. Those are her legs. And her bower shall overflow. I love it. I love it. And then throw her with song and dance, wine and beer. And that's why it's clearly these are sex songs. But we can call them love songs. That was my favorite. There's a couple other ones equating female body parts to houses and architectural Mm -hmm. elements, which is just fun. But I like the, her gates shall shake <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it reminds me of the, the like, like ACDC songs or something like this. Yeah. Right. It's like the same. It's like going to rock you all night long. Exactly, and in the like, morning when the sun comes yeah, up. Yeah. It's the same yeah. exact it's, thing. Right. It's Embrace there me when dawn comes. We'll yeah. still be so. Right. Yeah. They're still going to be going. So that one's a fun one. I like that one. And I had never read it before. Yeah. That's I actually, I didn't know that one. That was a good one. Um, the next one, made popular by our girl, Elizabeth Peters, The Crocodile Sandbank. Um, so this is a Cairo 25218, and this is in the voice of a male. I love a girl, but she lives over there on the far side of the river. A whole Nile in flood rages between us with a crocodile hunched on the sand. When we kiss and her warm lips half open, I fly cloud high without beer. What paradise gained, what fulfillment, and what a heavenly turn of affairs. Oh, raise one to Mencot, our lady of liquor, but keep your mouth tight on that girl. Wow. It goes on. This one's really long. I just took like little snippets. Yeah. Would, this one, this part's creepy. Would that I were the washerman of her clothes Mm -hmm. for a single month. Mm -hmm. I would be renewed by taking her clothes that were near her body. I would wipe my limbs with her cast-off clothing. I would be in rapture and joy. It would make my body young. So this dude's sniffing her her clothes and rubbing them on her himself in in rapture. It's so creepy. It's creepy. It's super creepy. But Um, And the half-opened, we we should read this. It's very, in our our language class, the half-open mouth. Yeah, when we kiss her warm lips, warm lips half open he flies high without beer so he doesn't mm-hmm. even need to be drunk mm-hmm. he's he's drunk on love 
But I love it that he, to that he prays to the goddess of drunkenness, of drunkenness, even though he doesn't need the beer. But, to be but, but keep your mouth tight on the girl, not on beer. Mm. And of course, the lovely, she's over there and I'm over here and mm -hmm. there's a crocodile between us. And mm -hmm can't get to each other so this could be so what we were saying we never see that you you could always marry whomever you want that's not yeah, what we're maybe. saying but maybe this is a situation in which she wants to marry somebody but can't yeah because there's um, obstacles in the way families are not um sanguine with their match yes yeah and he's longing for her but other mentions of you know her hair and her smell and equating her to fruit is often a really big so all these kind of metaphors to fruit and but all of these things are things to be consumed they're things to be owned. Yeah. They're, they're things to be... You never get it. I mean, you have sometimes from the female perspective to mm. the male, but a lot of... A lot no, of it's mostly the female who is literally is objectified. objectified. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you can't get more objectifying yeah. than making her into a house or a, a piece house. of fruit. Yeah, so or, some, or a drink, ribs. you know, a drink that makes him drunk, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's equated to beer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very strange. Menchet, female, right? Mm -hmm. Female. Or Henket, yeah. Yep. Menchet, the goddess, Henket, the, the drink. The beer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so very, very, very interesting. Yeah, I like, would I be a washerman of her clothes? Very creepy. Well, because the washerman is doing yeah, But he talks about, like, sniffing so, it and yeah. her smell and it's kind of weird. But we've all dated people where you take their, right, you take their sweatshirt and it smells like them. And you're like, I want to wear my boyfriend's sweatshirt. There's, and... there's an Adele song, isn't it? I wore his winter coat, the one that he used to wear. Or if we right? want to do a deep uh, um, millennial dive, Taylor Swift and um, her scarf that is missing. Oh, because the guy took her scarf. That, not the guy. Jake Gyllenhaal has her scarf. So. Jake Gyllenhaal and Taylor Swift. I know nothing of these yeah, things. I'm not same. a millennial. I, I have Kyle no does. I don't know. I don't but know. the scarf. I, I so, don't know these But we've things. all taken our lover's clothing. And it smells like that. I've never taken a lover's no. clothing. No. It was so big when we were in high school. I, yeah, to be really? like, I'm wearing my boyfriend's sweatshirt. Yeah. Huh. And you would like keep it. And then you'd break up and you'd be like, what am I supposed to do with Like, I don't you want this. burn it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want this sweatshirt. <laughs> give it to Goodwill. <laughs> yeah. You either give it back to them or in Taylor Swift's case, she never got her stuff back. Hmm. So. I think this has happened to me. Oh, you were the giver of the clothes. No, I didn't give it. Oh. But I, mean, I think <laughs> they the were clothes taken. were taken from me. Taken but from I did you. not take anyone's clothes. No. But yeah. All right. Fine. Well, anyway, I hope you all have a happy though. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, and may your lover not be on the opposite side of the same thing. Yes, may your lover not be on the opposite side of the same thing. Don't even. drink too much to get to your lover. Yeah, um, and don't give them your clothes. And call a spade a spade. So if the text is talking about sex, it's about sex. It's about sex. And no, Nia Knum and Knum Hotep are not Siamese twins or gay lovers, in in my opinion. Nor is Horace and Seth. No, that's just rape, straight that's up. That's rape, straight up. Um, and we got to the autumn, and I think, you know, we covered a lot, but there's there's more one could say about sex. Like, Always I don't know how chefs it's lovers, but let me just say it's not in the text. It's not in the, the no. sources that we have. It's, this stuff is not discussed. No. Um, we, next time, one thing we could do in our podcast coming up is we could talk about um, the tale of two brothers. Yes. Lots of sex in that one. Potiphar's wife, etc. cetera. Well, I was say how she's like, I watched you from afar mm -hmm. and saw your vigor. Mm -hmm. We can yes. talk about that one. 
And of course, then when his brother, we'll just we'll leave on this note that when his brother other accuses, yes, a, his brother's like, you slept with my wife. He's like, I did not sleep with your wife, but I'm going to prove it to you. And he takes his penis and he cuts it off and he throws it into, he throws it into the river, which is going to prove that he didn't sleep with, with his brother's wife. But then he has to run away and it's, it's, it's a, a whole, whole tale. Thing. It's a whole thing. It's, like a, it's a whole thing. It is a super a soap opera. Soap and the soap opera in Egypt starts when you cut off your penis and throw it into the river. Because that's what it is for Osiris, too. Mm-hmm. So so on that note, Happy please, Valentine's Day. dear listeners, do not cut off your penises and throw them into the river. Happy Valentine's Day. And we'll connect again soon. And yeah, we'll see you next time on Afterlives with Kara Cooney. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it. Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakuni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni.